Um, we are going to talk today um, about powerlessness. And I'll, I'll tell you how, um, I, I think in general, I have been experiencing a sense of powerlessness and um, how it comes through. I can often tell if I remember my dreams, which is not very often, if I have a dream, um, particularly around times of anxiety, those dream, I have I have more vivid dreams. So the other night, I had this dream that I was it was kind of a classic uh, worship leader musician's experience. So I was waiting in the green room uh, behind a, a large sanctuary filled with throngs of people waiting for me to come out and <laughs> worship. So, you know, what normally happens on a typical Sunday morning at the Groves. Okay, so I'm in the green room and I'm waiting to get out to do a sound check and rehearsal. And so I had been asked, I was a guest worship leader at this church. It's really large church and so I was ready and I was inspired and I had kind of the energy that comes with that moment about to go on and lead some people and and I, I had um, a sense of, of um, not like I hope hopefully it wasn't arrogance but a sense of confidence that the gifts that I had were going to encourage and move that that body of people and so um, but I began to realize as I was waiting in this room as I'm talking to different people coming to interact with me that they didn't really know who I was they didn't know what I was bringing and and, um, and, and what I began to pick up was that there's actually some kind of leadership problem in the church. And um, they were wrestling with it and working it out. And they're like, we have no idea what this surface is actually going to be like. We might, not, we might not even do music. So we'll get back to you and let you know what's happening. So I was just kind of sitting in the green room ready, but knowing that anything could happen at any time. And I didn't know what the problem was that was going on as far as the leadership of the church was concerned because that was none of my business, right? So I was just waiting there as a musician to do my thing and um eventually in in my dream um someone came and told me hey we we decided we're going to just switch everything around there's not gonna be any music um thank you for coming but you can just go take a seat and so um i and actually paul and eric and jamie were were all there with me and we just went and sat and we went and sat i actually remember where we sat too it was like on the the left side if you're facing the congregation we we're on the left side and we were sitting with a bunch of youth and young adults like that's where we found it was like our people so I woke up from that dream with, there's a lot that I could pull out of that whole thing, but I woke up from this, this dream with this feeling that I often have in life, which is that I feel and have this sense of being compelled, that I've been given these gifts that I'm prepared and I'm ready, but then I'm not released. Um, that there is, there's power or there's stuff that's going on around me, decisions being made um, that prevent me from actually moving and being and doing the thing that I feel like I have to offer or what I have to give. And so I realized that the backdrop for a lot of my life was like pent up and powerless. That's how I have basically felt for decades, pent up and powerless. But it was so much a part of my being that I didn't even know that's what was going on. I just lived with it. I just existed as though that's how it was meant to be. And I imagine that there are other people, particularly in, in, in the body of Christ, in the church, that have that same sense. Like, there is a purpose. There's a reason that I'm here. There's a reason I exist. There are gifts and abilities and talents and things that God has given me that I'm not able to express or hand out because... For some reason, it seems like I have become... What, what I realize is that I actually believe believed that I was powerless, that all that stuff was here, but I am at the mercy and the will 
of something somewhere that is just preventing me from operating being who I've called to be. Now, that is one way in which I have experienced powerlessness. Another way that I've experienced powerlessness, and even what we started talking about this morning, is in when I feel overwhelmed. <laughs> when the issues that I see, when, I, when I'm going through my Twitter feed and I'm looking at the news, all my news feeds that I've subscribed to, and I see what's happening in Belarus, and I see what's happening in Hong Kong, and I see what's happening right all over the world i see what has the global pandemic and the ways that it's impacting the world i i i um i saw this week i was reading more about because my history didn't my history classes didn't teach me about emmett till and that anniversary was this week and so i'm reading those story uh, this the the history and the story of emmett till's lynching and at the same time this week we with wrestling with kenosha's jacob blake right all of this stuff, we're looking at the systemic, we're, we're grappling with, our eyes are being opened, our mind is becoming aware, our bodies are experiencing the, the deep-rootedness of the problems that we face. And if you're, I, I have a sense often of powerlessness. What, well, what am I going to do about it? And in that moment, depending on how close I am, my proximity to it, I might be just like throw my hands up in the air and just be like, well, I don't know. There's nothing I can do about it. I guess I'll just be quiet. I'll just go back into my corner and quietly do my thing. Or um, or if I can if I can walk to it, or if I can go out and touch it, I want to be active. I want to be involved. But in the at the end of the day, there's a sense of, but did that change anything? Did I do anything? And and our pragmatism might step in and just say, well, that was pointless. And Are you there's talking a, about me. No, just <laughs> me. There's just some some people. <laughs> my my pragmatism. <laughs> yeah, someone's pragmatism. It's not mine. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm I'm identifying with the many voices and faces <laughs> right, in our community. Ways that we might respond, right? Um, so I have a question for you to think about, and and maybe if you're in the if you're in the YouTube and you're watching and you want to maybe text it out. When you believe there's nothing that can be done, how does your body respond? How does your mind respond in that moment? What do you think? When things feel overwhelming, when you feel powerless, how do you think about it? How does it make you feel? When we examine the world and we experience it, bring it closer. When we experience the struggles in our own city, in our neighborhoods, and we feel like there's nothing we can do, what is God? What is the response that God intends for our lives? And and I'm going to suggest, and I think we know this, that it is actually probably contextual. There is probably a, a response that is in one place, and for one, you know, that is not. It's not like a, a template for every every moment, right? But what is? But God does have. He is inviting us do justice, love mercy, walk humbly. Okay, specifically, how do we do that in this moment? Okay, what what is the voice of Jesus sound like in this moment? Because sometimes what I hear is you and your efforts don't matter. Is that the voice of Jesus? Is that the voice of God? Is the spirit shrugging her shoulders, throwing her hands up in the air going, well, I don't know. This is a real tough one. What is the spirit inviting us into? 
And what I suggest this morning is that some of us are so used to living without actual faith, without hope and belief in the things that we can't see. We actually are putting our trust and believing not like having our, our, our faith and putting our trust in what we can touch and what we can see. And, and, and we've, we've forgotten and we fail to, to see and to invite God, Jesus, Spirit into this conversation and into our action um, so that we can participate in the unseen being seen. Um, powerlessness. I've been thinking about our personal and collective sense of powerlessness, the lies we believe based on what we see, and the invisible truth that we need to hear so that we can live the lives that we are called to. I was watching, as many of you I'm sure were, I was yesterday I was listening to the Black Panther soundtrack all day, and then I watched Black Panther two times, <laughs> and there's this moment at the beginning of the movie, towards the beginning of the movie, when T'Challa is still the prince, and he's being challenged, and do you remember this? He's fighting in that water on that edge and he's caught in like a bear kind of thing with the the spear of the other man and his back has been cracked and his head has been hit multiple times and T'Challa's head and his upper body fling back and the visual that you see is him seeing his mother the queen right comes into view and she says T'Challa heed who you are <laughs> and I feel like there's a this is what I I I I I sense that we need to remember who we are. I sense that we need to um, listen to God, to Jesus, to Spirit, um, and 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 recalling who we are. And so there are two things that I feel, and I, I've invited Paul and Leroy to to speak to us about what comes to their mind related to this to power, powerlessness, what, how we respond, what we do, what stories, what scriptures inspire them, call them back to um, who they are. But um, um, I am reminded that, or I think what I hope to be reminded of is that I am actually not powerless. And that there is a way in which I am to interact with power that is not the same that the world interacts with power. Um, we'll see what Leroy and Paul have to bring us this morning, um, but um, those are just some of my thoughts and kind of the framework and the setting for the conversation that I wanted to have today. So, Leroy, would you please speak to us? <laughs> um, wow. Um, Sonia just gave us a lot. Um, and I think my reflections um, are... Um, uh, around, uh, they're in a number of different places, obviously, and, and all of our thoughts are maybe all over the place these days. Um, but I think, uh, first of all, uh, uh, how we started the conversation around, or we started this morning around uh, what's going on in Portland, right? And um, two sides, you know, clashing, Democrat, Republican, conservative, liberal, these kinds of things, right? Um, uh, I, I I honestly don't think we're in a political war. We're I, I think we're in a race war, right? Um, and uh, that war is contingent upon black people being property, right? And uh, and we're we're fighting in that space right now. Um, and uh, uh, the war is to keep black people uh, property less than uh, powerless. Um, 
and all of those in all aspects, right? Um, uh, and what used to be, um, you know, overt through slavery, right, um, is now covert through debt and low-paying jobs and inferior education and all those things, right? That's those things are on purpose, in my opinion, to keep um, uh, the the thought or the process not only in the minds of uh, of white folks that these people are less, but even in the minds of black people that were less, right? Um, and so, I think that's that's what we're fighting. Um, and so, to fight that, um, there's always a um, there always has to be a narrative change from the truth, right? Uh, from what reality um, is and what God has actually done. Right. And so um, and I, I discovered this when uh, we were involved in uh, the NFL kneel down um, and going around the country and kneeling out in front of stadiums and all these kind of things in answer to what was going on with black lives. But but in order uh, to, to gain some some ground what happens? The narrative gets changed, right? The narrative, there's a push to make this about the flag and about not being patriotic as opposed to no, this is about the way you treat black people, right? Um, so power um, um, uh, has to change the narrative in its favor for it to, for it to, to, to take some hold. And that's always um, the case. And so I'll, I'll, uh, a couple of scriptures that come to mind in that are um, um, to, to kind of connect a little bit to what Sonia was talking about in the powerlessness space uh, and what is the real narrative, right? And the real narrative, right, we know is that the gospel um, um, was taken and given, right, to those who so-called didn't have power, right? Um, that is that is undisputable, right? Uh, I, get me any theologian. If you try to tell me that the gospel was taken to those in power, that that's just that's just that's just not fact theologically, right? Um, and so I think for those who feel powerless, like get back to the right narrative, right? And the right narrative is um, that. Um, Jesus put the gospel out of the reach of those in so-called power to where they had to gain the gospel from those who were uh, outcast, poor, and marginalized. They had to hear the story from them. Jesus, Jesus planted it that way. God did that on purpose, right? Uh, and so, uh, but you know, the narrative has been flipped, right? To where it's now, if I'm wealthy, if I have power or if I have position, then I take the gospel to these people who are less than. A complete flip of the gospel narrative. Not, it's just not true, right? And so, um, uh, and we, we, we notice in a couple places that I'll highlight real quickly, I know I don't have all the time, so, um, uh, the first being the first miracle in John, right? In John 2, um, that Jesus uh, is, uh, a, again, at an everyday event, a wedding, 
right? Um, and uh, the, in that wedding, they run out of wine. Jesus' mom comes, hey, do some wine. Some of you may have heard me tell the story. And the Jesus's first miracle is only revealed to servants. The gospel is embedded in the world through this first miracle, right? To servants, not to the owner of the house, not to the wealthy, but to the servants, right? Jesus puts the gospel out of the reach of those who are wealthy so that they can find it out of the voice of the marginalized, right? Um, and so when you're like, if you're feeling powerless, if you're feeling out of touch, like you can't do anything and those types of things, there is a biblical gospel truth that in these moments, when God reaches down, we only see and know for the most part that God has reached down to those who feel like that. Second, second place um, is, um, I think, an interesting story when Peter is before the Sanhedrin. Uh, after Jesus is, is ascended back to heaven, Peter preaches, he gets uh, in trouble, and now he's before the Sanhedrin. And he's before the Sanhedrin, and he preaches to them. He tells them the Jesus they crucified, right, is what has him there. And uh, a key component to why the Sanhedrin wanted Peter, like, didn't, got incredibly angry at Peter. And you read this and ask, go read it for yourself, is that they saw that they were ignorant, uneducated persons, that drove them absolutely crazy. These are not people who should be speaking before us. These are not people who should be exhibiting this power. These are not people who should be taking up these, these kinds of activities, right? These are not people who should be teaching us, right? We see it played out in real time in that, in that, in that chapter. Now, as far as they knew, right? As far as they knew, Jesus was dead and this thing was over. Right, because Jesus had been crucified. Who would who like again after crucifixion, ascension, Jesus reveals himself to the marginalized and the outcasts. The Holy Spirit comes, is poured out on them, and they now have the power of the world in their hands. Right? They like to those who shouldn't have it. And remember, keep the context, right? They hated that they were uneducated, quote unquote, ignorant people. As far as they know, Jesus had died. As far as like, uh, as far as they know, they were back on their watch. They were back in charge. We got rid of Jesus. We have calmed this thing down. Things are back to what normal, right? To where we call the shots, the elites in charge, and they had government backing. It was a it was a uh, a combination of bad religion and government mixed together to create empire. That's what we have right now: bad religion and government together creates what we see happening with us. Right, the discussion. Busting display that is before us is a combination of bad religion, right, 
and empire. And the only way to root that out is to is for the gospel to come in. And the gospel only comes in, right? Through a marginalized voice, through somebody who's who's quote unquote ignorant, through somebody who's quote unquote outcast. Only way in, only way. Because that's where Jesus planted truth, right? So uh sorry I took too long to to go through that. Um, but those are those are those are my my thoughts around around powerlessness. And uh, I'll end with kind of voting, right? Voting, voting is a step forward, right? Where we use this tool to get control back of the narrative and, and flip it back over where it needs to be. So that's me. Mm. Leroy, thank you so much for that. Um, yeah, thank you. Thank you for taking time. Thank you for taking time on Donna's birthday. Thank you, Donna. And yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, thank you for those words around that. And it is so exactly what you said. I think we have to start at the root of the narrative. We have to start at where the story begins, who get who the story came for and who gets to tell that story. And um, that changes the shape, the entire, yeah, the entire thing shifts based on that. So thank you for that reminder and that encouragement this morning. Yeah. All right. Yeah, well, I think those are like the, obviously that that storyline is consistent not just through the New Testament, right, but throughout the entirety of Scripture. When you you and I were talking about this, um, kind of where my mind went uh, immediately was, you know, who who do we see as like that would perceive themselves as powerless in Scripture often, just even based on the culture and um, probably the most vulnerable, you know people or those would be considered the most powerless throughout scripture are uh, women and children, right? They're undervalued um, and um, consistently uh, would be the oppressed or the, the most vulnerable seen in scripture. So I was thinking of all the different stories where um, women are centered uh, in, in these stories and um, kind of imagining the, the sense of powerlessness that must have, of been there. And so I, I kind of centered in on one particular narrative, um, you know, which was the story of Esther. And uh, so I, I sat down and reread that story and you should read it if you haven't read it in a while. Um, it's, it's such a great, such a great story. But, um, you know, there are these things popping out to me of these expressions of who Esther was that uh, would, would cause you to find yourself in that space of feeling uh, so vulnerable. Um, she was parentless, right? That's one thing I had actually forgotten since the last time I had read it, that she, she was an orphan. You know, she, uh, both her parents were dead, which meant her uncle Mordecai was uh, looking after her. It, it, scripture doesn't say exactly how her parents died. Um, we might take from the timing that, you know, it had something to do with the Persian empire taking over Israel. Um, but you know, her parents are gone. So she's an orphan. Um, she was part of those captured by the Persian empire and taken. Uh, so she was a, a captive foreigner, right? Um, cause, uh, if you're not aware when, when many of these empires would, uh, um, conquer a nation, they would select certain, uh, groups of people or amounts of those people and take them back uh, to their homeland 
to have them serve in lots of different ways. A lot, a lot of time they were just forced into slavery. And so she was, was uh, you know, a foreign captive. Um, but just a recap of just to, to get this image, when during her life, um, the way the story goes, her, uh, while she was living there, the king decided he needed a new queen, right? The king of the Persian empire. And um, the reason was because his, his wife, the queen, had the audacity to uh, tell him no, right? He, he throws a big party and um, he calls for her to come to the party, basically to objectify her, right? She, the text says that she is beautiful and he wants her to come and um, shake her moneymaker for his friends. And I, I mean, that's a rough translation, but that's what I kind of see there. Uh, but he, he's having her come and she says, no, I'm not gonna do it. And he strips her of her royalty and um, says, you know, now I'm gonna need a new queen. And so the way the story goes is uh, him and his advisors, they, they kind of, uh, I don't know, <laughs> What I wrote down was they, this is a bad joke, but um, they kind of held a sort of a Persia's Got Talent sort of a contest and um, to find a new queen, right? And so they, they go all over uh, the empire and all over the country and they find the most beautiful young women and, and then they just take them. So Esther was taken. She was part of that. She was just taken to the harem and... Um, one of the things she does that's strategic is uh, her uncle Mordecai says, don't let them know um, your nationality. Keep that a secret. Uh, but she's just taken and kind of an image or a picture of what happens to her right away is in Esther 2.12. It says that at the end of the 12 months that were required for the women. So they had this 12 month period to be prepared to be presented to the king. Um, so at the end of the 12 months they, that were required for the women, when the turn of each young woman arrived to go to the king, uh, for, for in this way, they had to fulfill their cosmetic treatment. So they had to do 12 months of makeup, I guess. Uh, 12 months of cosmetic treatment, six months with oil of myrrh and six months with perfume and various ointments used by women. Um, the, the woman would go to the king in the following way. Whatever she asked for would be provided for her to take with her from the harem to the royal place. In the evening, she went, and in the morning, she returned to the uh, separate part of the harem uh, for the authority of the, the king's eunuch who was overseeing the concubines. She would not go back to the king unless the king was pleased with her, and um, she was requested by name. So, you know, I'm sitting here imagining Esther's experience, right? She was taken, she was forced to conceal like her true self, her racial identity. Um, she was completely objectified and forced to spend the night with the king. And so, you know, as I was considering different stories, there's, I don't know that this one seemed to strike me as one of the, uh, the greatest expressions of a feeling of, of powerlessness. Um, but she gets selected, right? The king picks her. He picks her as, as his new queen. And so as the story goes forward, as many of you know, the um, bad guy of the story is a guy named Haman. And he decides he wants to wipe out 
the Jews. And um, uh, her uncle Mordecai learns of this and he asks Esther to intervene. And there's this passage to me that kind of embodies this sense of her feeling powerless, but that being challenged by her uncle. Because he asks her to go to the king on behalf of the Jewish people and to stop this plot to have them kill. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, so in Esther 4, starting in verse 10, the story says this. Then Esther replied to Hatak with instructions for Mordecai. He's the guy that's bringing the message. All the servants of the king and the people of the king's provinces, they know that there is only one law applicable to any man or woman who comes uninvited to the king in the inner court. That person will be put to death unless the king extends to him the gold scepter, permitting him to be spared. Now, I've not been invited to come to the king for, 30, for some 30 days. When Esther's reply was uh, conveyed to Mordecai, he said, take back this answer to Esther. Don't imagine uh, that because you're part of the king's household, you will be the only Jew who will escape. If you keep quiet at this time, liberation and protection for the Jews will appear from another source, while you and your father's household will perish. It may be very well that you have achieved royal status for such a time at, as this. And as anybody who's read the story knows, <coughs> excuse me, she intervenes. And the people are saved. And so that left me spending some time just kind of pondering what, what power does this seemingly powerless girl uh, have on display? And um, so that's kind of the question I posed. And uh, I thought Sonia was going to answer that question, but she's departed. So, <laughs> um, so <laughs> but, I, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. Oh, okay. I haven't departed. <laughs> <laughs> no, when you were just telling that story, I was actually just thinking about, well, I was thinking about the sense of powerlessness, right? And the reality that even though she's still, there was still um, a system within which she lacked full power and expression she still did have some power right as like that which is what he's pointing out look you this is this is the the word we might use today the privilege that you have right now um and what are you willing to do I, I, it reminds me of um uh, a little message I heard from Erna Kim Hackett this week which was encouraging the urgency and the cost like act urgently and do it costly in a costly way that's what she said act urgently in a costly way and that's what mordecai was instructing for esther like you, this is you need to act now and yeah it might cost you but that's the risk that you are invited to take given the position that you are in right now which yeah. she did not feel like she had i mean i i can imagine how terrifying that must have been so yeah i wrote down yeah kind of the, the power that she had was actually the, the courage to risk, you know, and maybe you would even another perspective would be some of the power she had was uh, that relationship with her uncle, right? Because mm -hmm. in and of herself, maybe she doesn't make that decision. Maybe she doesn't um, step up because she's not challenged to. She, she allows the really, you know, the power of the empire, the law of the empire to keep her contained. Right. But mm -hmm. she responds 
to this cry for help on behalf of the oppressed, on behalf of those who are in danger, on the uh, right. on the behalf of those who are threatened, right? right. She gets right. challenged to step up uh, for them. Beyond herself to think her about other life. Yeah. 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 And I, I, I mean, you know, when I think about, um, I guess maybe this is some of, it's not to this de degree um, to say, to uh, step out and agree with uh, Leroy that that um, this is a, a, a racial division and a racial war, right? It's not necessarily going to cost us our lives, but it might cost us uh, relationships, right? Yeah. It might cost us, uh, certainly will cost us respect and cost us um, any number of things, yes. right? And, and, and to me, that's one, one challenge I kind of see here is like, um, if we are in positions to speak out and to say something, which we that, are, I would say right. we are all yeah. anyone listening on this YouTube right now is in a position to speak or to say something has power. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Sorry to interrupt. But oh, yeah. no, no. Yeah. That's, you're not interrupting that. But that was, I mean, that was the big thing that stood out to me was her response and the fact that it was so real because there's there's a very real fear there's a hesitance mm -hmm. you know she's like i don't you know we i can't do this this is yeah. you know i could get you know the law you know what he could do right and then what then yeah i mean and you think of all how 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 all the ways we could rationalize away taking action well right. then going to be in the household who you can t i'm the i'm the person who's here what if, yeah. if i die then then it's all gone you know right, right. like right. all the ways that that you might rationalize away the risk. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, it, and it kind of reminds me, I can't remember, did you watch that um, Netflix movie, uh, Power? The one with the... With Jamie Foxx. I, I don't know. Oh, yeah. Well, it's a new one. And with the drug. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a yeah. little... So the premise of the movie, I don't think this is a spoiler because this is all kind of in the trailer. Uh, but uh, the premise of the movie is there's this uh, drug that unlocks kind of DNA genetic code for people and releases whatever um, particular power that their genetic code kind of has hidden uh, in their body, right? That's the gist of it. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes it's actually lethal to the people, but it, it releases their power. Well, there's a scene even in the trailer where Jamie Foxx is talking to um, his co-star who's a young girl that um, comes, you know, from single mom, rough neighborhood. She's actually been dealing the drug, uh, but she never takes it. And um, he, he's been talking about this thing and he, he asks her, Hey, what's your power? Um, and she doesn't respond with some description of something that has happened. Cause she never took the drug. She wouldn't take it. And she responds with this understanding that her power, she just says, I rap. Right. And then there's this really cool He's like you rap. He kind of laughs at her at first. Right. And then um, he, she says, give me a word. Give me any word. Mm -hmm. And he, he starts giving her words, you know, and then the last one, he's like antibiotic. Right. And she does this incredible rhyme. Um, right. And, and he at the end, he's like, Ooh, you know, that, you smoke that. Right. And he he gives her a nod like that's your power. And um, I. I love that whole scene as it relates to this. It's a little different because she was aware, right? She was aware of what her power was, um, but it wasn't reaching for 
uh, the superpower or the thing that like would blow everybody away in a fight or in something. Right. And, and, and so I, I thought that was a powerful image in this discussion because that's really more like what I, I think we should be longing for. Like what, who, knowing who we are inside, what it is that we have to work with, uh, mm -hmm. what we can contribute uh, to this thing, right? Yes, when, yes. Every, when everybody else, right? That's the image of that story. Everybody else in that, in that movie, they're grasping for this, this superpower to dominate the world right mm -hmm. and when she's asked what her power is uh it mm -hmm. comes from inside and it's this expression of art and it's this contribution kind of to the collective uh consciousness of 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 the of her people right of the people um yeah and uh i, I, I would, just love that as an image yeah connected to that i saw um a quote um of chadwick boseman who passed this week um, who died this week and, and um, uh, one of the quotes that he said tied to what you were just saying he said about, about ourselves like knowing our gift knowing who we are knowing what we contribute um, he said purpose is the essential element of you it is the reason you are on the planet at this particular time in history your very existence is wrapped up in the things you are here to fulfill it was just such an inspiring like yes you are here on purpose, like all exactly for such a time as this, right? Which is, yeah. I think a pop, it could be a cliche thing and can be this like, just sort of an emotional, like you can do it kind of, but for real that, yeah. that in each of us, like, you know, uh, the Imago Day, we've talked about this in the last few weeks, the Imago Day and every single one of us, the yeah. spirit giving gifts without prejudice, without any, you know, like, to every single person that the spirit has been poured out on all flesh. Like yeah. it, no, we all have, we've all, we all have the imprint of God. We all have the spirit of God, the gifts of God in us. And this is a, this is a moment for us to, I think, identify and recognize who God has made us to be in this skin in our bodies in this moment in this time and um and then and then see how the power of god is demonstrated through these very humble fragile broken messed up yeah. computers right i mean that is that's that's the gospel that's what Leroy was saying it's it's right people came to to the poor for the oppressed it's good news for who for for the humble right yeah, for, yeah the the marginalized for those that feel like they have no voice for those that feel as though they are powerless the good news is that you are not powerless the good news is that you are not alone the good news is that you know we are we are sons and daughters of a different kind of kingdom in a different kind of system where the the bottom is the top and the top is the bottom right like yeah that's the good news and and who we are in that other system in that other way really matters that is the invisible thing that i want us to grab a hold of that's the thing that we don't yeah. see every day that we're not going to hear commercials marketing to us that message the commercials are going to tell us we're not enough and we need that thing that yeah. is the why the reality is that our identity is found in christ god has made us on purpose in this way on purpose and we can discover that reality and that truth and we can live into that in this world. And that is a power that cannot be taken away from us. 
Right. That's a power that will disrupt, that will do exactly what happened in the Acts 1 story. Um, I hope you're done talking because now I have more words. <laughs> yeah, go. Go for it. <laughs> Is there more you want to say about Esther before I kind of go in? <laughs> no, no. I just wanted to reiterate that to me, I see that as um, – uh, you know, a, obviously it's more of a precursor to what Leroy was talking about of the New Testament images and the, the telling of the gospel uh, through the marginalized, but th that it's consistent throughout that um, God is consistently choosing those who this system and the empires of this world would see as powerless. God chooses and empowers in order to bring about rightness, in order to bring about justice. Mm -hmm. and, and, and so that is what, you know, we should be reflecting on as we uh, want to see the gospel lived out and proclaimed uh, in the best way that we can in this time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just wanted to kind of close out today with um, a passage that is familiar, uh, very familiar to me growing up in Pentecostal circles in a Pentecostal church. Um, there was, there was uh, 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 the, the, the empowerment that comes through the Holy Spirit. And so I have read the scripture time and time and time again, and I have been praying as I read it, you know, God, <laughs> like, like, get rid of any, like, I'll, I'll use the words that I would use today. I don't, decolonize this for me. <laughs> Um, take this from whatever lenses that might be the wrong filters and the ways that I've seen this in the past, but, but, but may let the scripture become alive and true for me. So I want to just read from Acts chapter one, um, a story that is very familiar to me, familiar to, to those of you who've been part of the gross for a while. We, we preached through this book, um, at the very beginning, at the onset, but it says this in Acts chapter 1, verse 4 says, On one occasion, while Jesus was eating with them, I love it, he's just like hanging out, just eating, it's real chill, it's all good. He's eating with them, and he gave this, them this command Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him. So, so Jesus just says, hey, wait in Jerusalem. John did this water baptism. You're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. So they met together and they said, so, Lord, is it at this time that you're going to store the kingdom to Israel? And this is just such a human. I think this is such an hour, a human hour response. Like, so is now the time that the power comes back to us and that you're going to make all things right? Is now the moment? Are you going to do it in this way, in this moment with this person? This is their question. Like, <laughs> and Jesus says to them, look, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the father has set by his own authority. It's none of your business. It's not any of your business. This is Jesus' response. But here you will receive, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus, I, I love, it's like um, when reading it this way, especially it's like they're missing each other. Like they're what they're preoccupied with, what they're thinking about, the questions they have in this moment are different. Um, the fears that the disciples or the anxieties or the worries or the dreams they have are different than what Jesus is wanting to communicate and has been trying to communicate with them. And as I read this, it, it, it struck me that it is less about 
when. Okay, so the pragmatism in us, when. Is this effective? Is this going to happen now? Is this going to make it faster, shorter, quicker? Jesus, Jesus is like, that's actually none of your business. But here's what I want you to do right now. Here is who I want you to be right now. Here's how I'm going to, to I'm not going to abandon you. I'm actually going to equip you and empower you to live the way that I've invited you to live. So I think that is really good news for us that Jesus didn't just say, hey, um, I want you to love God. I want you to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and I want you to love your neighbor. Good luck with that. But he gave us his spirit, his own self in order for us to live this out, right? So um, less about when, but who we need to be right now. We read later that the disciples gathered and they were empowered. And then they gathered again and again and again. And when they gathered, you know what they did? You know what they, they, they learned together, they ate together, and they prayed together. And when they prayed, they prayed that they would have more, what? Courage to be witnesses. Because as they were out being witnesses and testifying to who Jesus was, it was really hard. It was really messy. It included confronting power. It included breaking laws and rules. It revealed their own prejudices. They had church fights over um, who was being able to get the resources that were there. There was real prejudice that was being revealed in their own individual lives. I mean, the story of Peter and what what the Spirit was opening up for him. Um, so revealing the prejudice and the biases in their own lives and in their own communities. It was a mess, but they didn't stop. And this is the encouragement that we heard a couple weeks ago. Um, that, you know, to keep on gathering, to keep coming together, to keep praying, and to keep asking God for increasing power and increasing courage to live this stuff out in our place, in and through our purpose, in the way that God has called us to, with whatever privilege, whatever position, whatever power. This is like a PPPPP kind of talk. Uh, in in that posture. Ooh, this is good, getting good. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna. I just jinxed it. My thoughts are gone. But the, in 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 all of that, God has God God is inviting us to um, to live empowered. Um, to live in a way that we are, uh, that is with purpose, knowing our identity and who we are um, with whatever privilege that we have. Um, so that is the invitation. I hope this morning that there are some good things that you can chew on and take away with, to take away with you throughout this week um, as you consider um, in those moments of feeling overwhelmed, in those moments of feeling pent up, in those moments of, um, you know, this is not to say that we don't need breaks and we don't need rest, we do um, rest and restoration and all those things need to be part of our rhythms and our practices. Um, but never, even in our restful moments, um, my prayer is that you resist the lie that you are powerless. You resist the lie that what you do and who you are and all that you are bringing, um, resist the lie that it doesn't matter. It does, um, maybe more than ever for us to show up to, to, um, to discover um, and learn who we are. And, and along those lines, I, I want to say this too. I, I, my own, um, uh, I've taken about two months um, to kind of go through this, this process of discovering my own, um, my own uh, 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 purpose, uh, the way in which I want to live that out, the way in which I'm called to live that out. And there's a this amazing this great process called purpose to practice we've done it together as the groves as a community but it's also a great practice to do individually so if you are part of the grove or, or you don't even have to be part of the groves if you um are at a moment or in a place where you want to do some of that work and discover your purpose and and um and how to live that out
I would love to walk with you through that. And so you can um, get a hold of me um, in whatever way that you know how to reach me. And I would love to walk through um, that, that process and those things with you. But anyway, we love you all so much. I'm so glad that you uh, joined in today with Groves. Um, it's so good to be back um, together, even if it's even if I don't get to hug you or see your faces. But um, hopefully, we will come up. We will be um, gathering again in uh, responsible, distanced um, ways, and uh, we'll get to see each other's faces um, soon. So um, I don't know if Eric and Jamie want to jump back on, or if they're planning to jump back on, if they're right behind the screen. Not sure what's going on there. Didn't discuss the end, how we would do that. But um, let me pray for all of you. And then, um, yeah, we'll, we'll just close out the day. Um, yeah, let's pray. God, thank you so much for the faithfulness of your presence. Thank you for, oh, um, thank you for being a revealing God. Um, one who is not distant one who is involved in the intricacies of our lives. I echo prayers that were stated earlier, that your presence would be experienced, that your spirit would um, bring us comfort and guidance, correction, help, all the things that we need. Um, I pray for unity in your body. I pray for peace. I pray for justice. I pray that you would um, continue to give us wisdom, discernment, courage to live the life that you've called us to. We love you in Jesus name. Amen. We, uh, do you want to end or, uh, we can play kind of a, a little upbeat, you know, jam session, just like we were doing old school groves. Yeah. Do that. Cool. Do that. I'll hop over to the YouTube and right. chat, chat away. Okay. Yep. Yeah.
the dance yeah 